Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Best Boss Ever podcast series. I'm Carl Thomas, your host for the series, where every week we'll explore the best and the worst bosses, employees, relationships, leadership, management styles, what works, what doesn't, and why, and everything in between. Full disclosure here, I've known Harmony Walton, our guest today, since she was in high school, and she's one of my oldest daughter's closest and best friends. When you hear the family name Walton, several things might come to mind. If you're old enough, you probably remember the very successful family TV show, The Waltons, which had a nine-year run on CBS television in the 1970s. Or, if you're a Walmart fan, you know Walton as the founding family of Walmart. However, if you're of a sporting mind, you certainly know the prodigious San Diego Walton family, which gave us Bruce Walton, Harmony's dad, Bill Walton, her uncle, and Luke Walton, her cousin. A formidable group, to be sure, with an outstanding resume of accomplishments, including All-Americans, NCAA championships, NBA championships, and her dad's appearance in the 1976 Super Bowl with the Dallas Cowboys. But the coolest Walton success story is Harmony. The girl, the woman she is now, and very soon a mom-to-be. And how being around the boys, including her brother Cam, gave her the resolve, the fortitude, the focus, and I might even say the obstinance to forge her own way. A UCLA graduate like her dad and uncle, she started her career in the celebrity world of public relations. Then shortly after college in 2004, the light bulb went on. With a vision to leverage the web with enough moxie and talent, Harm saw the future of weddings, vision, planning, best-in-class vendors, budgets, extraordinary venues, and execution, all with the bride as the focus. She launched Bridal Bar, first with a brick-and-mortar store in Beverly Hills, and now exclusively at bridalbar.com. It's a virtual one-stop shop complete with a massive and growing database of vendors, locations, venues, and a wide variety of budget options. Why am I so excited to have Harmony as our guest today? It's really simple. She recognized early on the power of the internet and how it would simplify end-to-end the daunting task of planning and pulling off a wedding, arguably the second most important moment of any woman's life. Harmony, welcome to the show today, and thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. That was quite an introduction, Carl. I appreciate it. You make me sound better than I was feeling today, so thanks. Well, I'm always here for that. And by the way, all of that was not only accurate, but pretty well understated. So since we're on the topic here, always, of the best boss ever, Let's start with the best boss or the best mentor or the best coach you ever had and how he or she helped shape and guide you to where you are today. 
I would say the best mentor I ever had was uh, by far my dad, who is no longer with us, but he was an entrepreneur himself. He rose through the ranks in the radio industry in the 80s and 90s and eventually um, was a partner and an owner at a radio station that I interned at in college. And I remember being in high school and getting to be his date for different galas or festivals and, and concerts. And as he would say, he would go around the room and shake hands and kiss babies. And I didn't realize at the time, but I was kind of learning the art of playing the game and networking and, and building relationships and all of that just through being around him and watching him and, and seeing how hard he worked. I mean, he would be in the gym at 5.30 in the morning so he could be one of the first people at the office every day, um, you know, coming home in time for dinner, traveling for work, getting lots of great perks for work. And I kind of said, I want that life and, and I want to be like him. Um, and then getting to work for his radio station in college was much more of a hands-on experience. Um, and one of the neat things about doing that was he introduced me to my greatest boss ever besides him. And that was a guy named Brad Samuel. And Brad had been my dad's high school intern, um, you know, almost a generation ahead of me. And then I get to college and I became Brad's intern, who at the time was an employee now of the radio station that my dad was running. Um, and Brad was the only guy besides my dad first in the office. He was in the office at dawn and the last guy to go home and such a mover and shaker and someone that I saw work really hard and actually climbed the ranks through that hard work, made it to out of the San Diego market to the Los Angeles market, um, kind of became a vice president at Clear Channel at the time. And the neat thing was, is that that time I was now um, at UCLA and he would keep in touch with me and he would reach out to me and he would say, how are you doing? What's going on? Let's go to dinner. Let me take you out. What, what are your future plans? And to this day, um, he was a guest at my wedding. We we're still friends. And he is someone that drives me and pushes me and really takes a, an active interest in everything that I do. And kind of keeps me accountable. So I would say first my dad and second Brad Samuel. Well, I love to hear both of those. Uh, your dad was a really good friend of mine. I knew him for decades. We actually met at UCLA and played sports together. He was on the football field, all Pac-8, Pac-8 back then, and then went on to the Dallas Cowboys and played in a Super Bowl. I, on the other hand, uh, swam and played water polo at UCLA, but we were friends early on. I, I loved your dad and everything I just heard you say about him. I'm sure he would, if he could hear it, would just be absolutely amazed because as parents, you're about to be one, and I have been one for quite a while. You never really know how you impact your children, what they take away, and the story you just told about Bruce is awesome. And I'm equally pleased to hear that Brad is an ongoing mentor of yours. I hope he gets to hear this podcast because he'll have, I think, a very similar reaction. So Harmony, you're, you're awesome. And thank you for that because so many times 
our, our audience, our guests, each of us struggle to really identify who had that influence in our life. And it's so cool to hear that your dad was number one in your life. I love that. Thanks for that. I would guess you might be number one to Whitney too, Carl. <laughs> well, she's going to get a chance to tell us that at some point. All right. Uh, that could make Christmas awkward or really nice this year. Yeah, no, exactly. You just <laughs> never know what's going to happen around those holiday tables. Uh, listen, as an entrepreneur and sort of following in the footsteps of your dad, give us a little bit of the background over and above what I said in the intro to Bridal Bar, uh, how you got to where you are, because it's a really, really good story. How I got to where I am is through trial and error, really, um, and some uh, youth and naivete that I don't have now. <laughs> um, I worked for Dustin Hoffman in college. Um, it was a great opportunity, a great experience when I was at UCLA, um, kind of doing some personal assistant work which led me to get into public relations for celebrities after college. And I realized that I liked kind of that world and events and different things kind of surrounding Hollywood, but I didn't really want to be in Hollywood. Um, and I didn't really like the culture in, in kind of the company structure that I was experiencing in Hollywood. So I decided to figure out what I was good at relating to events, which was not making floral arrangements or graphic design for invitations or anything like that. But it was very much like my dad. It was connecting people, creative marketing, thinking outside the box. And I, so I came up with a business and a job for myself that checked all the boxes of the things I wanted to do and the things that I thought I was good at. So I launched the Bridal Bar in 2004. I just kind of said, hey, you know, I'm young, I'm single, I don't have kids. If I fail, I'll go get a job. So I started the business and it has evolved and changed over the years. Started with one brick and mortar store. At one point we had three um, and now we have none. And the business is still going strong and, and we've just kind of evolved with the times. Um, I used those Hollywood connections I had to get the business up and running, which was great. And then it's just kind of evolved and changed over the years. And now I get to work from home during a pandemic and I was already working from home. So my job hasn't changed too much, which is great. Um, yeah. So I, I really kind of each chapter, I think with Bridal Bar and with my career has built on the last. And so I've kind of learned what I liked and didn't like from that last chapter and then tried to morph my future career into what I wanted. Um, which in part was not going to weddings on Saturday nights. So I came up with a marketing company essentially that works with brides and grooms, but also works with event professionals where I don't have to actually go to the weddings themselves. And that gives me my weekends free, which was a big part of kind of my overall game plan. And that's a really good game plan. So a couple of highlights from Bridal Bar. Uh, you, you mentioned your Hollywood connections helping you launch the business. And I, and I know many of the celebrities that you've played a role in helping them uh, get married are, are sort of very private folks. But are there a couple of celebs that, that whose weddings you worked on that you can share with us? Yeah, so um, I think our most notable was the wedding of Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes. They got married in Italy in, gosh, I think that was 2006 now. 
um, since divorced. Um, we worked with Katherine Heigl and Josh Kelly, um, Skeet Ulrich and his bride, um, Will and Jada Pinkett Smith. We've done events and um, actually we didn't do their wedding, but we helped them um, host and plan her brother's wedding at their home uh, several years back. So really kind of just a wide variety, a lot of reality TV stars and, and different contestants on reality shows being based in Los Angeles. And it's been a fun experience. Some of them we've gone after and solicited um, and others have just kind of found us through the press that we've received and at different times, our locations. Um, we had a great, our, our first location was really great. Um, Beverly Hills, West Hollywood area. And so sometimes like a celebrity would just walk in and say, Hey, I'm engaged and I don't know what to do. Help me. And we'd go, gosh, she looks really familiar. <laughs> um, but we were, because I had uh, some public relations experience prior to launching bridal bar, we were able to leverage, um, the, the clients that wanted the press, we were able to work with them and leverage that for my own business, which has really kind of catapulted the brand and brought a lot of different opportunities over the years. So, uh, you know, we love working with all couples, but the celebrities have certainly helped um, put the bridal bar on the map. Well, for sure. And is it fair to say that the reputation and the quality of work you've done over the last 15 years uh, is, is one of the, is one of the primary ways that new business comes to bridal bar. I, I rather would, would think that through, references and and word of mouth and that sort of thing especially in in hollywood that 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 would be a very sort of serious if you will soft marketing play for you absolutely um i think how we get our business has changed over the years tom cruise and katie holmes came to us because we had helped a girl that worked for his public relations firm and she had just randomly found us. She was getting married. We helped her. She had a great experience. And then when their high profile clients needed some help, she suggested us, um, which was very cool. Um, I would say in the early years, we got most of our business from print magazines. I knew how to pitch magazines and get us featured. Um, and that was hard to do back then. There weren't wedding blogs. There was no social media. So you really had to be savvy at PR to get your business placed. And we would get a lot of people that would come in and say, hey, I saw you in this magazine. You must be credible. Um, today, most of those magazines don't exist. Social media has kind of taken over. And social media, I would say, is, is not my skill set. We certainly participate, but I wouldn't say that we dominate that area. Um, and so most of our business does come from word of mouth and referral from providing great service to both couples and the companies that we work with. And a lot of our businesses just emails saying, Hey, so-and-so said they had a great experience. How can you help us? Right. Well, that underscores the, the, one of the axioms of business work hard, do a great job, have satisfied customers and clients who loved the experience they had with you and, and, and then watch the river flow, right? Right. Watch the river flow, but still you got to, sometimes you have to pour some water on it to get it down over the edge. Uh, so, so never sitting still. I, I, I've had a lot of great mentors in my life. And um, one of them I remember told me, you know, 
it was sort of a, at one of the peaks of art, my career, they said, well, what are you going to do next? How are you going to change, change it up? And I said, I'm not, why would I, why would I fix something that's not broken? I am riding high right now. There's, you know, our business is, is can't keep up. And he said, well, then you're laying on train tracks waiting to die. You better change now before it's too late. And, and at that particular conversation, I was young and I said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. And then I think maybe a year later, I went back to him and said, you were so right. I should have, I should have gotten out in front of it because you can't sit on top forever and just let it come. Uh, and so we made changes. And, you know, I think that was right around the time that social media was coming up. And I was like, I don't need that. I've got all this. And, um, and then we, we were a little late to the party. Well, that's, that's wisdom sort of beyond your years. Andy Grove, who was the second CEO and chairman of Intel, uh, wrote a book called Only the Paranoid Survive. And the thesis of that book was change. If, if you are not changing, then you are going to be left behind. And, and you just spoke to that from your own perspective. And that's, that's great commentary. So now we're in September of 2020, a bridal bar 16 years old. Can you estimate or do you actually know how many weddings you've planned and executed over the course of the bridal bar history? You know, I, I really don't know. I, it's thousands. Um, and the way we are able, I mean, in year, certain years, it's probably been hundreds of people in a year. Um, but the way we're able to do that is because we're not wedding planners. So what I like to say is the bridal, at the bridal bar, we assist, we don't plan. So for couples, it's a concierge service to help them kind of get on the right track, answer any questions about budget or timeline or do's and don'ts, what they need to be doing. And then um, through education and inspiration, our goal is to then influence their vendor decisions. So we want to, not unlike a concierge, connect them to the best restaurant in town with a great reservation. Um, and that could be getting them an appointment with a top bridal stylist to help them find their wedding dress or an appointment with a designer who's coming into town to shop for their wedding um, gown. And so by doing that and not actually producing the event, we will ultimately refer them to a wedding planner. Um, we're able to help as many couples as we can because sometimes that's very limited and sometimes that's, you know, multiple times, multiple meetings or conversations or emails, you know, throughout the course of a year. And sometimes it's just one 30 minute session to get them onto the right track and get them to the right vendors that we represent and send them on their merry way. Well, the distinction between a planner and a concierge is, sort of seems subtle or might sound subtle, but it's far from subtle. The concierge, the advisory service, the, you know, to use a godfather term, the, the wedding consigliore, right? Mm -hmm. um, or, or in your case, the consigliore S. <laughs> That's probably not a word. But the point being that your guidance, your, your advice, your massive network and database of best-in-class vendors and providers and locations, I think, serves your industry super well. And obviously, with thousands of satisfied customers and clients behind you, it's, it's obviously worked. 
So we can't have a conversation around business in September of 2020 without sort of stating the obvious. And that is we're, depending on how you count the months, maybe in month seven of the, the impact of the COVID-19 shutdown. And I just had the experience of, of going to my son's wedding, which was planned for this summer. And the guest list was, I'm going to say, around about 150. And it ended up being at, not at the venue originally contracted with. And the guest list went from 150 to 11. So my guess is that you're experiencing a lot of that. And sort of share with our audience how you've adapted and responded to this situation, where you see, um, you know, the, the, the weddings of the future going, whether they're, uh, you know, replanned re or rebooted or reconfigured for 2021. My guess is once the fog lifts and it will lift that weddings will come back with a vengeance and you will be busier than perhaps you might even want to be as a new mom. <laughs> well, let's hope so, because 2020 has been a, a different experience for, I think, everyone in the live events industry. Um, you know, I, I, this is a topic that we, we in the industry talk about all the time, but no one has a crystal ball. So I'll preface it by saying, I have no idea what's going to happen now. Am I... Am I banking on it rebounding? I am, and maybe that's a little bit foolish, but I believe that you know you can always count on love, couples wanting to get married, and families wanting to celebrate milestones. I think that those three things, no matter what's going on in the world, those will not change. So that gives hope for my business. Um, but it's going to look different. And as you said about Willie's wedding, it, it changed dramatically. And, and really what that also means is the budget changes dramatically. So 150 people at a big hotel might have 20 wedding vendors. And depending on the caliber of the wedding could cost $25,000 or $2.5 million. And that's a lot of revenue into our industry you take that and you move it to a park with 11 people and you might have four or five wedding vendors and it might cost 2000 to $10,000. Um, and that's not a survivable business model for anyone in the wedding industry. So our hope is that, as you said, it rebounds with a vengeance. Um, but I do think it's going to look differently. Uh, one thing that Europeans do differently than Americans when they get married is they typically have, you know, a formal ceremony and then a very formal, long, multi-course dinner, um, very food and wine centric. And there's no dancing going on during that time. It's a move from ceremony to cocktail hour to a long evening of great food and wine and conversation. Then the wedding sort of ends, but the after party begins. And then typically a new space would open up or sometimes in the same space, then the dancing would begin. When everything else is said and done, then the dancing takes place. So I think we're going to have sort of a, a hybrid model of that here in the U.S. because dancing will be one of the things that is allowed to come back last, but people will be able or more comfortable to gather sooner than that. Um, so I think we might start to see more of that dinner party style wedding. And 
you know, at some point the after party with the dancing would be allowed, or perhaps the, the group size shrinks dramatically to, you know, follow state guidelines and be allowed to have a limited number of people dancing in another room, um, say after the parents and grandparents have gone to bed. But I do think what we're going to see is a, is a shift in really in timeline and experience that people are going to put more emphasis on that food and beverage and less on the party because the parties just aren't going to be allowed anytime soon. You know, I do think we're going to see smaller weddings like your family's experiencing. Um, and I think that we're going to see more elopements. We are seeing more elopements. And we're going to see couples that are either planning in really short windows of time, let's say one to three months, or really long windows of time, 12 to 18 months. Whereas typically in the U.S., um, the average engagement is about nine months to a year. And I think that's really going to change for the next two years. Um, and in some ways, that's neither good nor bad. It just, it's just different. Yeah, it's, it's change. It's, it's adapting to the current environment. And to your point, the question mark of, of when and what and how and what it looks like uh, is sort of all TBD. But I find your, your commentary pretty fascinating uh, about the juxtaposition of European weddings, as an example, and those which we here in the U.S. have become used to, and some blended or hybrid approach now to, as, as we talked about at the outset, um, one of the most important moments in, in a family's life, whether it's grandparents, parents, or the bride and groom-to-be. Uh, all of those things are super interesting, and I love your I love your insight there because a lot of those things. I, and listen, I'm I'm a I'm a parent, and I just had my son's wedding, and I wouldn't have thought of any of those things that that you just laid out, which is really important for our audience, regardless of what station in life you're in. Um, there is going to be a wedding on your horizon, period. So take take note um, and listen to what. What you what Harmony said because the 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 valuable insights there I think are really worth uh, you know sort of taking to the bank. So with the few minutes we have left, Harmony, um, we've got a couple of sort of standard features here that everybody really loves on our podcast series. First, um, I want you to think about and then share with us the 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 your favorite mistake. Listen, we all make mistakes, but this is the one mistake that stands out to you that you made and the one that perhaps you learned the most from? Well, I wouldn't call it a favorite mistake because mistakes are never fun, but um, my, the biggest mistake I've made that stands out when I think back um, is probably expanding in a way that just didn't work. So when I opened our first brick and mortar showroom, let's call it, um, we had a lot of companies copying us and knocking us off. And, and at one point it was like, okay, I didn't have the funding to, you know, be banana Republic and roll out 300 stores, but that's what I wanted. So I decided to license the brand to two different store owners, one in San Diego and one in Atlanta. Um, and what that meant, it was similar to a franchise, but one not as expensive for me to, open a franchise business. Um, but two, it, it allowed them a little bit more freedom and flexibility. 
And that freedom and flexibility really backfired. Um, so we opened the Atlanta store and it was really great in the beginning. And it was sort of going to be my model for future franchise locations. And the owner was a problem, to, to be honest. Um, I picked the wrong partner. And, and I did it thinking she was going to be the, the best partner ever everything, you know, all the boxes were checked on paper and it was somewhat of a disaster. Um, and I had a mentor by the name of Jeff Campbell and he said through, through actually a mentorship program called, um, Chan uh, Chancellor's Associates. And he said, you've got to close the Atlanta store. It's, it's going to damage the long-term effect of the bridal bar. And I said, no way it's making money. It's, it's my, it's beautiful. It's our biggest location. It's all these things. And he said, you got it. You got to pull the plug. You got to revoke the license. All the things she was doing were, were, was, were terrible for the business. And I was slow to do it. I eventually did do it, but it took me a while to get there. It was, it, it was emotionally hard for me to do. Um, and what I realized was the license model was not for me personally. I wasn't great at managing and sort of babysitting owners but it was also too lax and not enough of a franchise where it gave the ownership, the individual owners too much freedom. And at the end of the day, the freedom they had in a different state was affecting my ability to generate revenue for myself in California. So eventually we ended the licensing model. And I think that as hard as that was to do because it was really turning down money, it was the best thing I had to do to keep the brand and the business afloat and with a certain level of quality and reputation that wasn't going to get damaged. So I learned the way I tried to expand was not the right way for me or for my business. And um, it took a lot of years to recover from that. So that was probably my biggest mistake. Well, that's, that's amazing uh, because what, on the surface or at face value looked like a really successful model when you sort of dug into it with your mentor, Jeff Campbell, uh, you concluded, or he helped you conclude that it wasn't the best approach for the brand. And sometimes saying no is really hard to do. And to your point, it took you probably longer than it should have for you to finally draw the line in the sand. Good news is you did a, and B, you've recovered. Uh, we've got two quick bits left, but before we go there, Harmony, would you let our audience know the best way to reach out to you, your website? Sure, so we've got bridalbar.com, um, and we're on social media at bridalbar across every channel. Awesome, uh, so two things left. Uh, one, I do this with every guest, and it's really a fun one. Uh, Give me or give us and our audience your favorite female artist or band. This was tough because my favorite is Jimmy Buffett, but he's a male. So I won't, I won't plug Jimmy any more than that. Um, but I would say it's probably Laura Daigle or Rachel Platten. And I'm, or excuse me, Lauren Daigle or Rachel Platten. And I'm not even sure I'm saying Lauren's last name properly, but I love her music so much that 
that I'm kind of a cult fan of hers and she's very obscure, which is why I don't even know how you properly pronounce her name. She's um, a Christian music singer and her music's just really uplifting and inspiring. And she's got this very soulful voice Um, and not unlike Rachel Platten, it's kind of girl power music. And whenever I'm facing anything in my life, I can turn on either of their songs and just get that extra boost I need to kind of get through the day. That's terrific. Uh, and one of the, the axioms here is that music artists bands is one of the very few things that transcends the globe in terms of culture, geography, uh, socioeconomics, politics, Um, At the end of the day, music is music, and it's always interesting, so interesting to hear which which artists and which bands resonate with our guests. So all you girls slash women slash moms slash moms-to-be slash entrepreneurs out there, um, pay attention. Harmony just gave you a really, really great place to hear some awesome music. Last one uh, is all about words. Uh, I want you to give me one word that really matters to you uh, that's helped you and why. Um, I would say latitude. I was thinking about this before the show. Um, And I picked latitude one because of Jimmy Buffett's changes in attitudes, changes in latitudes. Um, But because latitude represents sort of a, a place or a point and that is for me kind of always changing it's it's where are you at today or in your life at any given time um and that can be different depending on how you tweak your attitude and so i like the thought of looking at where i am in terms of latitude and then adjusting my attitude accordingly to find a different place on the map I also love to travel, so anything travel-related kind of, you know, inspires me. And, and I don't know, that I just like the word latitude. Love that. Well, one more homage to your dad, Bruce, who I know loved Jimmy Buffett. And he probably went to more Jimmy Buffett concerts in his lifetime than any other human on the planet. <laughs> this is true. He kept him in business for a lot of years. Harmony, it's been so great to hear your story. I can't thank you enough for being a guest on the show. Best of luck um, with the birth of your new child here in the next couple, three weeks. And thank uh, you. Thanks again for being a part of it. Thank you for having me, Carl. Great to chat with you. Thanks for listening, everybody. There's more to come every week, so please... Subscribe and rate us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Pandora, and many others. Also visit our website at thebestbossever.com, where you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn, as well as find more compelling content. Until next week, remember, words matter.